Good morning, good morning. What a great, great day to be alive. How many know there's all kinds of things going on in the world right now? There's things in our nation. There's still all kinds of challenges. There's uh, war going on in Ukraine. Uh, people are going through all kinds of things and uh, too deep to talk about all of that. But in the middle of it all, we can say, Jesus is Lord. Come on, Jesus is Lord. And so I just believe that no matter where you're coming from today, in the middle of, uh, uh, Brittany said prosperity, in the middle of pain, in the middle of a, a season of mountaintop experience where you just keep seeing the blessing of God, or if you're in the middle of a valley, Jesus is Lord. He's Lord. Uh, there's a story that was told years ago uh, about a young man from Madrid, Spain, and uh, his name was Paco, and he, in his teenage years, as a lot of us guys kind of went through, and maybe some of you gals too, there was always this conflict between him and his father. It seemed like they were constantly arguing. Uh, the, the son would really never listen to the father, and everything the father said, if, he, if the father said it's white, it was black, you know the deal. Uh, and he just would not listen to him anymore. And he got so frustrated, Paco did, that he finally just one day said, I'm done, I'm leaving home. And he, he went to live really on the streets of, of Madrid. The father didn't know what to do. The father's heart was towards his son. But in, the, in this day and age, this is decades ago, there was really no way to get a hold of him. He didn't know where to look. He didn't know where to go. He didn't know where to begin. And so the father did something. He, he grabbed some resources together that he could, and he took out the biggest ad he could in the, in the local Madrid uh, newspaper. And here's what the newspaper ad said. It said, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. What happened is that Paco was such a popular name in Spain that when the father went on Tuesday to the Hotel Montana, <laughs> listen, there were over 800 young men that showed up waiting for their fathers because we all, just like Paco, are looking for forgiveness. Really, Easter is about what Jesus did for us, that we could be forgiven, that we could actually experience salvation, that we could actually enjoy a relationship with a father. Listen, a healthy, God-loving, God-honoring relationship with our Father God. And really, we'll show some things on the screen and behind me and up here as well, so you can follow along with a couple of verses and maybe some key points. But there are really two sides to salvation. I want to talk to you just a little bit this morning. There's really just two sides. The two sides of salvation is this, God's forgiveness and man's repentance. God is always looking to forgive, but there's got to be a reciprocating benefit on our end where we receive that and then we repent of what we have done, the life and the lifestyle that we've lived. Forgiveness is always extended based on the heart and our desire and our looking again towards Jesus. 
Listen, God can't do what you think you might be able to do, which is save you. He will not allow man to try to save themselves. It's futile. It can't. You could not pay for your sins. There's no way that you could ever be right with God based on anything that you have done. That's why he sent Jesus. So the two sides to this is God's forgiveness, but in response, man's repentance. That is the heart of the Father to bring us back in right relationship with Him. He is always generous. He is always benevolent. He is always kind. He is always good. Anyone who comes to Him, He will always hear. He will always forgive. He will always restore. He will always renew. Come on, somebody. He will always redeem. But when you read the Bible, we start in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we see this, this, how this began and how this sin then entered into the world, entered into all of our lives. We, we know that Adam and Eve were, were put in the Garden of Eden into a beautiful place, a, a place where God made for them. But we find out that the serpent made his way around that area. That's a whole other uh, message to talk about. Uh, but we know the scripture says that, that Eve listened to his lies and his deception. And many of us have done that this morning. We've listened and given ear to the lies and the tactics of the enemy that then caused a wedge between man and God. They actually sinned. They actually ate of that forbidden fruit. And the scripture says that sin then passed to all of us. That the Bible says the first man was a prototype of all men, of all women. And so I, as, as a dad, my, my kids when they were young would say, you know, I wish that Adam never sinned, then everything would be beautiful. And I'd say, listen, sons, listen, daughters, if you were there, you would have sinned too. It was in us. We'll talk about that. There's really four thoughts I want to give you this morning, kind of as a foundation for where we want to go for the time that I have with you today, is that it begins this way, is that our sin, our sin caused separation with God. This is what the Bible says, man's sin. You were Adam, I was Adam. You were Eve, I was Eve. If we were there, we would have done it. Our sin caused separation from God. The Apostle Paul writes to a church and he says, all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. God's measure of holiness, the standard of holiness between God and man, where God could have fellowship and relationship with man, was severed. Everybody sinned. The Bible says that we're actually born into sin. Our, our, our nature, when we come into this earth, listen to me, we're not perfect, beautiful on the inside. The scripture paints a different picture. We are dead on the inside. Our nature is away from God. It's not, it's not directed towards God. We have antagonism in our hearts towards God. The purity of God, the holiness of God, the glory of God, the worth of God, the love of God. The, that is not in us. That has to be put in us when we make Jesus the Lord of our lives. Our sin caused separation with God. And a holy God could never have relationship with an unholy people. 
a holy father could never have relationship with an unholy, impure person, me and you. That's why he sent Jesus to be our sin bearer and our sin remover. There's three words that you find out mainly in the Old Testament that talk about the overarching, overreaching principle of sin. Sin just simply means you miss the mark. That the mark is set, the bullseye is set, and we didn't hit the bullseye of what a standard and a, a right life with God would be. That's what sin is. Then we find the word transgression. The word transgression is you know it, you know what you should do, but you willingly break the law. I know that I should drive 70 on the freeway, but how many know I go a little bit faster? I've transgressed. I know, but I transgress. But then there's another word that you find in the scripture, and it is the word iniquity. Iniquity is a word all by itself, because the word iniquity means you have propensity, you have desire, you have lust, you have carnality, you have wishes, you have wants that are directed away from God. That's what we all got when we came into this earth. And I always say semi-humorously, you go down to our beautiful nursery today or you go in the family lounge and see those beautiful, wonderful, loving little toddlers. Well, let me tell you what. When somebody gets one of their toys, the loving, beautiful, sweet little toddler will get that little plastic hammer and hammer their head. Why? Inside them is carnality. Inside them is sin. Inside them is, is selfishness. You can clean them up on the inside and put an Easter dress on the outside, on the outside but how many know they got something else on the inside? We all do. Our sin caused separation with God. God saw us, secondly. God saw us in our shame and in our guilt. He saw us. And when God saw us, he didn't leave us that way. The beauty of the cross is that Jesus constantly reaches to a lost man that is in sin, is in shame, is in guilt, is in condemnation, is away from God, is fearful, might be remorseful, but, but hasn't made that next step of repenting and finding God, might, might, be, might be sorrowful over what they've done, but God sees us in our shame. He sees us in our guilt. We were alive, the scripture says. Paul says on the outside, we were alive. We're a living being. But on the inside, we're dead. We have dead men's bones, the Old Testament says. Our nature was against God. It wasn't for God. It doesn't matter how you tried to break out of it. Man could never break out of the propensity to do the wrong thing. We find out, thirdly, that God allowed Jesus he allowed Jesus then to suffer in our place. This is the beauty of what we celebrate today, is that God sent the perfect only sacrifice to a broken man and woman who needed complete restoration. The only sacrifice was perfection. It wasn't an Old Testament prophet. It wasn't a man or a woman who did some good but had some bad, the only way for us to be 100% completely, totally saved and delivered and the sin and shame and guilt and fear and condemnation of our past be broken was a perfect, 
person had to come and give their life. The scripture says this person was Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, hundreds of years before, before Jesus actually comes to the earth, Isaiah the prophet writes this. And in fact, I would encourage you, maybe this week, maybe when you go home tonight, you can read those 12 or 13 or 14 verses in Isaiah chapter 53. It won't take you long. But it is a prophetic picture that Isaiah writes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. He tells us what this Messiah is going to do, what his life will be, what he will endure, what he will bear and carry for you and me. And in this verse, it says, all we like sheep. Listen to me. This is you. This is me. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We have turned. We have turned away from him. We've done our own thing. Every one of us to our own way. And the Lord, this is the Lord. This is the God Almighty. This is the Father has laid on him, laid on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Not just the sin, not just missing the mark, not the transgression. I know what to do, but I didn't do it. He laid on Christ the iniquity, the propensity to do my own thing, to make my own way, to do something and build a tower to God like Babel. And I'll do my own thing and I'll have my own language and I'll, I'll make my own way and I'll, I'll build my own business and do it all away from God. He laid on Christ the iniquity and the sin of us all. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he, God, made him Jesus to be sin. He knew no sin, but he made him to be sin for us all, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This morning, every person that made Jesus the Lord of your life, the scripture says, you have a right to stand with the Father in prayer and in your authority, not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. Can anybody say amen? And if you've never prayed that prayer, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to just say yes to Jesus. He takes us just the way we are. He doesn't ask us to change. He takes us just the way we are. God allowed Jesus to suffer in our place. And we find out that then Jesus became man's savior. The scripture says there's no other name given among men where we may be saved. No other name. No other prophet. No other good man. No other religion. It's not popular to say it. But listen to me, if you believe the scripture, there is no other way to be saved than through Jesus Christ and his blood. No other way. You, you might say, Gary, that's a, that's a little bit bold, that's a little bit strong. Uh, there, there's been all kind of good men and been all kind of good women that have done all kinds of good things and have sacrificed and, and they've got movements and they've got names and they've got religions and they've got followings and they've got millions. But listen to me, the scripture says they're still dead in the grave. Only one, only one was raised from the dead, victorious, to live forever and ever. And his name is Jesus. Yeah. The scripture says that when Jesus went to the cross, again, the apostle Paul writes and he says that Jesus canceled all of your sins that were against you. And he nailed them to the cross. Think with me this morning. Your sin has been canceled 
and it's been nailed to the cross of Jesus. Someone said when Jesus went to the cross, he had you on his mind. It wasn't his sin, it was our sin. So what we know, what we can find out from the scripture is this. Jesus suffered as our substitute. The righteous for the unrighteous. He suffered as our substitute. He's not asking you to do it. He's not asking you to go to the cross. He's not, he's not asking you to do what a lot of religion tells you you need to do. Listen to me. All he's asking you to do is turn toward him in repentance and receive the gift of salvation. Can somebody say amen, amen right there? His blood, his blood and his blood alone purchased the freedom that was necessary for you and me. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, who we really don't know who wrote that book, but he writes and he says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5 through 7. In chapter 9 and 10, it takes us back to this Old Testament, what they did and what they went through to try to be right with God. It involved animal sacrifices. It involved animals giving their life so that people's sin would actually be atoned for or covered for. But the Bible says they did this yearly. It was a sacrifice that the priest would, would go into the Holy of Holies one time of year and offer this blood sacrifice to cover or atone for the people's sins. But here in the book of Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, when he came into the world, this is Jesus, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire. You really, Father, didn't desire animal sacrifices. You really didn't desire, even though you tolerated, even though you allowed that to cover for man's sin in the Old Testament. He sacrificed an offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. God Almighty, Jesus in heaven from eternity, God the Father, God the Son, we'd say Jesus, God the Holy Spirit, forever one, eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God, forever and ever, before eternity ever was, before the world ever was, before anything ever began. And Jesus says, I'll come. I'll be the one. Give me a body and I'll come to the earth and I'll redeem man. I'll bring men back to God. Look what he goes on to say. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. All of that that went on, all of the work, you read it, all the, the, the priests had to be adorned in certain colors and certain things. They had to have everything perfect to even come before God. And they came not just by themselves, but they had to come. An animal had to give its life. We know in the Old Testament, we know from the book of Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned, and God came down in the Garden of Eden and said, Adam, where are you? And they were hiding in their sin. They were hiding in their shame. When God then spoke to them, the Bible says that God clothed them with animal skins. The first animal sacrifice was in the Garden of Eden. Blood needed to be shed to cover man, to cover their shame, to cover their embarrassment, to cover their condemnation, to cover their guilt. And now we find out, the scripture says, all of that stuff, God really had no pleasure. But it doesn't stop there. Look at this last part. Then I said, Jesus, behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. I'll come, I'll do your will, I'll suffer, I'll die, I'll give my life. I know what it's going to take 
And the only person who can do it is me. Wow. The writer says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. It's impossible. It could never take away the sin. There would always be a remembrance of the sin. Maybe some of you all have been in a car accident. Maybe you haven't gotten it fixed yet. Every time you see the, the side of the car, you remember the accident. I remember what I did. I remember I hit that pole. Come on. I, the Lord might heal a couple in the room today saying that. <laughs> I remember what I did. You see that person that you were, did something to, that you said something about, and I remember it. A consciousness of it. The Bible says the blood of Jesus can remove the consciousness and the remembrance of that. Not just the act, but remove the consciousness of it. The writer goes on to say this in chapter 9, verse 12. I love this. Because this tells us exactly what, G what Jesus did and where he is. It says this, Christ entered the most holy place. In the Old Testament, this was called the Holy of Holies. He entered the most holy place. This is in heaven only once and for all time. He did not take with him the blood of bulls and calves. He didn't take with him the blood of goats, the blood of calves. His sacrifice was his own blood, and by it, he sets free us free from sin forever. Come on, somebody say amen right there. Forever, forever and ever. The blood of Jesus, one more time, did what only he could do. No animal, no continual sacrifice. The Bible even says, though, that in the Old Testament, that as those animals were offered, as the, it would be like incense going before God, God would smell the sacrifice and bring forgiveness to the people. Now the Bible says that God the Father is sitting in heaven, Jesus at his right hand, ruling and reigning to all his enemies be made his footstool. And when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus took his blood to the very holy of holies in heaven and presented it and said, Father God, from now on, anybody who turns to you through me, through my name, through my sacrifice, you see them through the blood. Can somebody say amen, amen, and amen? That's good news. There's a couple of reversals I think are, 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 are necessary to talk about today when we talk about what happened in the Garden of Eden, but what happened in another garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. The scripture says this, that Adam and Eve disobeyed and sinned against God in the Garden of Eden. They did that. We know that. But the Bible says this, that Jesus suffered in prayer, surrendering to God's will in a garden called Gethsemane. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve hid behind a tree, a bush, shrubbery, naked, covered in shame. But the scripture tells us that Jesus hung on a tree, naked, and conquered our shame. Adam and Eve began in paradise, but were forced outside the gates due to their curse of sin. The scripture says actually that there was an angel that wouldn't let him go back in. But the Bible tells us that Jesus died outside the gates of Jerusalem, 
but he ended up in paradise because of the cross. Adam and Eve's sin ushered in a curse of thorns from the ground, but Jesus wore a crown of thorns as he ushered in salvation from sin forever. Come on, somebody. Oh, what a Savior. Come on, oh, what a Savior. He just reversed all that the enemy had done. On a hill called Golgotha, the scripture says and calls it in one translation, the place of the skull. There were three crosses, three crosses, not just one. There was a man on each side of Jesus. The Bible says that they were robbers, paying for their crimes. We don't know if even these type of men were the type of men that Jesus, when he talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan, that the Good Samaritan rolled up on the scene and there was a man that was beaten and bloodied and left to die. These were the kind of men that were on both sides of Jesus. During this event on the cross with these men on both sides, we read the accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that the soldiers, all the religious people, and all the people that were passing by looking at Jesus just like we would go to a zoo or we would go to a, a, a freak show, if you would, whatever that means, and just gawk. And they were mocking him. If you're the son of God, you said, take yourself down from the cross. You said you'd rise from the dead. You save people. You heal people. You raise people from the dead. Bring yourself down. Show us a sign and we'll believe. Listen to me. No sign will ever last in your heart to trust God. It takes faith and faith alone. The scripture says of these two men, one of the criminals, the robbers, mocked Jesus. One of the criminals believed in who he was. And he was actually having a conversation with the other man and said, don't you know who this is? Don't you recognize who this is? We're here because of what we've done. He's perfect. He's sinless. He did no evil. And then he turns to Jesus. Listen to me. You can't get so far away from God that he will not hear you and save you. The utter lowest part of his life on a cross, getting ready to die for his sin. He looks at Jesus and he says, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. Come on, that's the good news of the gospel. But there's a choice. There's a choice. There's a choice. One man died in his sin. He died in his sin. He was there. And he died. He didn't say yes. He thought he could make his own way. He was mocking as the others were mocking. He was part of the flow that was ostracizing Jesus. He died in his sin. One man died to his sin. He said, I recognize you. I receive you. I want you. You're the remedy for my life. You're innocent. I believe in you. 
But the third man we celebrate today, who is Jesus, one man died for all sin. He died for all sin. If the man would have just said yes, if the man at his point of need would have just said yes, he could have been saved forever. We heard a testimony from Jack that the first time Jack said yes, it didn't stick. But how many know God's a God of a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth chance? Can somebody say amen in the room? As Jesus was arrested and crucified, the scripture says everybody deserted him. All his friends, all the disciples deserted him. Nobody was there. He suffered and died alone. The scripture says that the disciples, for fear of the, the Jews and the, and the Romans, they hid themselves and they locked themselves away. I, I don't know about you, but if my team isn't with me when I'm down, I don't want my team when I'm up. But listen to me, not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus shows up in a room while they're afraid and they're hurting. And they're scared for their life. They're scared because COVID and they're scared because of inflation. And they're scared because, dear God, we live in San Diego. Who can live here? And they're scared because of drugs and violence. And they're, they're scared because of whatever they're going through. And Jesus shows up to these guys. And he calls them. The scripture says that he goes to these failed disciples. He doesn't bring up their mistakes. No scripture says, where, where were you guys when I needed you? Could anybody just have been there to let me see you, that you'd be with me to my last breath? They, 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 they all ran. But he doesn't even bring it up. The scripture says he comes to them and he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. I'm going to give you a mission. And I'm going to give you a ministry. And you are going to change the world. Listen to me this morning. I'm looking at a room here and online of people I believe Jesus is going to use to change the world. Come on, somebody say amen. Yeah. And then he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Come on, you need the Holy Spirit. This is the good news of the gospel. When you don't perform, when you're not worthy, when you've got nothing but mistakes, Jesus says, I want you. Jesus says, I'm calling you. Jesus says, I'm sending you. I know your problems. I know your struggles. I know your doubts. The scripture even says some of the disciples didn't even believe it was Jesus when he came through the room, came through the door. They didn't even believe him. They doubted. But he still says, in spite of all that, I invite you to my mission. I invite you to live another kind of life and to reach people far away from God. Man, remember Paco and his father? Paco wasn't forgiven because of Paco. Paco was forgiven because of his dad. All Paco had to do was just turn back to God. Paco read something in a newspaper. 
that sparked him. I need to come back home. Today, you've heard through singing and testimony and hopefully through the words I've shared, testimony from God that would be like reading a newspaper and God the Father saying to you in the room, come home. All's forgiven. Come on, somebody. All's forgiven. Come home. When Jesus was on that cross, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. And when he said, it is finished, he didn't say, I am finished. He was just beginning. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on. Forgiveness always meets us when we turn. Come on. It is finished. Come on. Look at your neighbor and tell them that. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished. My story is I was born on Long Island, New York in 1960. I know I'm 62 and I'm really good looking. Um, but I had to say that. Just getting older, a little more gray. 1962, raised up in that area, north, northeast for all the first 12 years of my life. My dad worked for a company and, until we got transferred down to Tennessee. But I remember as a kid, I was raised in church and we were going to the Baptist church and, and uh, Billy Graham, come on, y'all remember Billy Graham? What a preacher. He was having a convention, uh, you know, stadiums was what he'd do. He'd fill up stadiums. What, what an amazing man. What, a, what, what goodness of God on his life. And the Bible says that, or excuse me, the Bible. <laughs> the story is that for me and my family, we wanted to go see him. So me and my parents, you know, this is like 1970, 71, I'm 10 or 11. We drove from New Jersey to New York City. It was not that long away. I can't remember if it was the old Shea Stadium or the Met Stadium. But he was preaching on the infield, and we were there up in the stands. And I'm just a young kid. And I'm seeing, as he gave this altar call, droves and droves of people just leave their seats and come down on that infield and give their hearts to Jesus Christ. Unashamed. Unashamed to say, I want Jesus, I need Jesus. That impacted my life. When I was a young kid, eight years old, I, I gave my life to the Lord, but my testimony is really that I, I lived like hell for the next 12. It's kind of like Jack, until one day I was done. I mean, I was just done. Done in my sin and my shame and my guilt. And at 1009 Nottingham Place in Johnson City, Tennessee, my home where I live with my parents, messed up from doing drugs and jacked up on a Friday night. In the middle of the night, from Friday to Saturday, in the middle of my bed, I cried out to God. In the middle of June, 1980s, a 20 year old, I just said, I'm done. I'm done. I gotta have you. And man, his grace, his love, his mercy, he called me. And he didn't only call me to be a son, he invited me to partner in his ministry. I, I still am amazed that Jesus called me to be a pastor. Listen to me, you don't know what God will do with your life if you'll just say yes.
He'll make you a businessman like you've never been. He'll, he'll cause you to be the best mom you could ever be. He'll cause you to excel in school and open up doors of favor for you that no, no business card could. Just saying yes to him. And he'll put gift and talent and ability in your life. And if you'll surrender that to him, listen to me, you'll look back as a 62-year-old person or some 80-year-olds in our church to go, I can't believe God was so good to me. Look what he's done with my life. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Billy Graham would read this scripture almost every time I heard him preach. I'll close with this today. Many of you know it. You'll know the first part of the verse. Maybe you don't know the second part of the verse. So we'll give it to you this morning. John 3, 16. But we'll read verse 17. Can you read this out loud with me? One, two, three, read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Look at this though. For God didn't send his son into the world to what? To condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You're not under condemnation, yeah. You're not under guilt. You're not under shame. You can surrender your life to Jesus and he takes us right where we're at. And he says, you don't have to try to work to earn it because you can't. We found out on Friday night with Zacchaeus, you can't climb a tree and say, here I am. <laughs> Jesus didn't climb a tree to see Zacchaeus. He told Zacchaeus, come down from your tree. Come, come down from your performance. Come down from your work. Come down from your striving to try to get to me to see me. All you gotta do you say, Jesus, I turn to you. I repent of my sin. I want you in my life. And the Bible says he opens up heaven and restores you and redeems you and saves you. And then he will be the one who works in you his good work. Let him do it today. Come on, all over the room, bow your head. Would you do it? Close your eyes. Give everyone the right to privacy. Father God, we just thank you today for the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your name. As we've honored and sung about your name today, our hearts have been opened and we've been transformed. Father, we're asking you today, if there are people in the room that don't know you as Lord and Savior, today's the day that they say yes. You delivered us from shame and guilt and condemnation, things that we couldn't do for ourselves, but only you can do. But we know that salvation has got two sides, God's forgiveness but man, our repentance, our saying yes, our turning away. So all over the room, while your head's bowed, your eyes are closed, come on, just give everyone the right to privacy. I'm gonna ask you in a couple of seconds, if you don't know Jesus, you're away from him. If you do something really bold and brave, it's just lift your hand to say, include me in that prayer, Pastor Gary. I want Jesus, I, I, I need him in my life. Maybe you've known him in the past, but You've drifted. You were like me. You were raised in church, but man, you, you, you said yes a time ago, a week ago, a year ago, years ago, but now time has gone on. And just like Jack, you, you, were, you were in, but then you were out and, and it just didn't stick. But now you're saying, if, if you'll have me, if you'll take me, if you want me, I want you. And the answer to all that is Jesus does, God does. So all over the room, when I count to three, you want to be included in this prayer, I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. That's just saying, pray for me. 
Pray for me. I want to know Jesus. I want to know him better. I want to know more. I'm ready to surrender my life today. We're going to say a prayer out loud, and here's what's going to happen. It's going to be a spiritual transaction. God's going to save you and meet you right there where you're at. Right there today, your life is going to be changed. Come on, all over the room. One, two, come on, three. Lift up your hands. You want to be included in this prayer all over the room. Come on, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. All over the room. Twelve. Glory to God. Thirteen. All over the room. Come on, Lord. Look one more time. Put your hands down. One look more, one more time. If you didn't raise your hand, this is your time. Raise your hand right now. One more time. One more time. One more time. Awesome. Awesome. See your hand. See your hand. Thank you for your boldness, your courage. Fourteen, fifteen hands. Go ahead and put them down. We said we're going to pray. We're going to pray out loud, all of us. We're going to help you pray. But you raised your hand. Here's what we know. Let's mix faith with what we're saying. We're not just saying empty words to an empty God or an empty place in, this, in the atmosphere somewhere. No, no, no. We're speaking. We're praying to God. And he's going to hear us. And he's going to answer us this morning right where you're at. So all over the room, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. In Jesus' name. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. So I believe in my heart and I say with my mouth, God raised Jesus from the dead. Be my Lord. Be my Savior forever and ever. I repent. I change my mind. And I'm changing my direction. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I'll never be the same in Jesus' name. Can somebody say amen, amen? Come on, our custom is we stand up and we shout real big and we clap real loud for everybody that prayed that prayer. Come on, keep clapping.